while we're continuing, have a seat. We're continuing in our studies on Philippians. And uh, although tonight we are in chapter 2, um, we are actually going to start our Bible study tonight on verse 27. So the past couple of weeks, we have looked at uh, Paul writing to the church of Philippi. Uh, more than likely, he's writing to the church of Philippi from uh, jail in Rome. He's spoken of his thanksgiving for them. He's spoken of the advancement of the gospel. He's spoken of those that were also preaching the gospel but trying to preach it in such a way that uh, they were um, maybe trying to stir up a, a, an envy within Paul as to how well they were doing. But we left off last week reading the end of chapter 1, but we're going to go back to verse 27 tonight. And uh, we're going to read through to chapter 2, verse 4. And then, actually, tonight we're going to look right up to chapter 2, verse 11. But just for the sake of this moment, let's read from verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything but your opponent, by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we're going to just stop right there. And as we look at this, I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind in Christ, these two words, in Christ, everything we do in our walk, everything we do in our faith, in our journey with the Lord is in Christ because we are in Christ from that moment that we come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give, God, give glory to your father who is in heaven. So therefore, all that we do, all that we are, all that we will become is to what? The glory of God. God the Father. It's because of Christ. It is for Christ. It is that he may be glorified in us so that the watching world will say, you know what? They must be a child of God. They must be a Christian because they couldn't have gone through all that they've gone through without there being another source of strength, without there being something else leading them. Not anybody can face what they have faced and still have joy. So the watching world sees us, and if we keep in the forefront as we go through the whole book of, of Philippians or this whole letter to the, to the Philippians, and most specifically tonight, in Christ, in Christ, because we are in him, we will go through things, but he will be our joy. He will be our strength. So let's start at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith. Now, he starts himself by saying, let your manner of life be worthy 
of the gospel. He's saying to them, you know what? Live as though you are citizens of the kingdom of God. Live as though you are citizens of the kingdom of God. Because that, that very word, the manner of life, is reflecting that. In the New King James, it says, let your conduct be worthy. Let your conduct. So the conduct in, in the actual in original Greek, that, that word conduct um, is translated as citizen, uh, a citizen of something. And so if you're, if you're a citizen or living as a citizen, Paul is actually saying to them, if we went back to the New King James Version, let your conduct be. He's saying, let your citizenship be that of the kingdom of God. Let your citizenship be that of the gospel. And in other words, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you live, let it demonstrate one who has the gospel of the living Christ dwelling within them. An, an individual that, the, that displays the gospel in their everyday life. Not one that has come up to an altar call at some sort of an event or a church service. Yes, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Yes, Lord, come into my life and goes away forgetting the prayer that they prayed. Goes away living the very same life that they were living before they came to the altar. Never once again remembering that the gospel came to change them. Not just to be something that is a prayer prayed and never encountering the Jesus behind that prayer. He says, I want to know that when I come to visit you, whether I'm able to come and be there or whether it is that word is given to me, I want to know that you are living the gospel out. I want to know that you are remaining in the faith together, that you are standing firm. You're not fragmented. You're not disjointed. You're not disheveled, but you are walking in the knowledge of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, stand firm that you would not be frightened. Stand firm. Don't be frightened by your adversaries. In verse, um, the, the latter part of verse 27, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side in the faith because he wanted them to know, he wanted to know that they were remaining. Nothing was distracting them from the faith that they were walking in. They did not abandon their faith, nor did God abandon them in their walk. They weren't suffering because God had, um, was punishing them. They weren't suffering because uh, God's hand uh, was, was, uh, was um, it, you know, when a parent disciplines a child, okay? They, it, their suffering that they were going through, Paul is saying, God is using it as a tool that is shaping and that is forming you. Don't think of your suffering. Don't let your, your faith be fragmented. Don't let yourself be, be disheveled. Stand firm in what you believe and know that the suffering that you are facing is God's tool as he is forming you. He says, because in verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. When Paul uses that word suffer right there, the actual original word is pasco. It means persecution. So when we hear that word persecution, oh, so I'm, I'm going to go through persecution because uh, of what I'm believing. Well, that's the original, but it also is used in the scriptures in relation to sufferings. It also is um, used in relation to suffering under a temptation or, or suffering under hardships. And we see examples of this in Acts chapter 28, verse 5. Paul, when he was bit by the snake, what did he do? He shook off the snake. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. That word suffered right there is the same word that is used in verse 29 of Philippians. That suffering. So it's not a persecution in this sense, but it's also the rendering of a type of suffering. This suffering did not bring harm to Paul. In Hebrews 2 verse 18, it says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those 
who are being tempted. So there in Hebrews, we see that the suffering could reflect when you face temptations. So Paul is saying, listen, I want you to stand firm. Don't be frightened by your adversaries. If they're going to see that you're frightened by them, they're going to know that they have a toehold in your life. They're going to know that there's an open door in, in which they can get in and bring trouble. But know this, that when you are going through suffering, you're going through it for Christ's sake. You, you are going through suffering, but God is using this as a tool to shape and to form you. So he then continues on. And as he's continuing on, he says to them this, and this caught me. Uh, verse 30. Okay, let me read it from 29 because it's a continued sentence. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So then he continues, not only should they expect suffering, but there's also going to be a form of conflict. And so the minute I've read that, I've, I'm thinking of myself, okay, these, these Philippian brothers are going to have some disagreements in amongst themselves. There's going to be maybe some um, disputes, but that's not what Paul is saying in this. He's going to an ancient Greek word called... Um, Aegon, and so this, this ancient Greek word that is used in this situation of the verse, in this usage of conflict, actually refers to when the athletes would all come together and they would um, come together to compete. And when they would compete, because of the strenuous exercising, because of the strenuous form of, of um, sportsmanship or whatever they were doing, they would go through an agony. They would go through some sort of agonizing um, because they would come together and compete in amongst each other. So when Paul's referring to the conflict here, he's using that old Greek word and he's saying to them, look, you're going to face trials, you're going to face suffering, and you could anticipate that in that suffering and in that trial, there's going to be some form of agonizing. There's going to be some form of agony. And so that is what Paul is referring to here. You and I could look at this situation and we could say, okay, so I can expect that while I'm walking out my journey of, of um, living out a citizen of the gospel, as I'm walking out that journey, as I'm reflecting what the gospel looks like when I live my life, there's going to be times where I'm going to face trials. I'm going to face sufferings. And there's going to be times that those things are going to feel like an agony to me. They are going to feel agonizing. But if I could go back to the beginning, what I opened with, I said, uh, um, all that we are, all that we do, and all that we will become is what? That Christ would be glorified in us. Remember, in Christ, we are in Christ. Whatever trial we face, we are in Christ. We know that he has gone before us and he has faced those trials. Whatever suffering, whatever we feel has become such an agonizing thing, we are in Christ. Why? Because the watching world will be able to say that is a child of God. Because they could not have gone through that, as I said, without being a Christian. Nobody could go through what they have gone through and still have joy. And still have joy. So Paul continues on in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. So Paul wants his readers to draw on all that they have in Christ. What are they drawing on? They're drawing on their encouragement. They're drawing on their comfort, on their love on their affection, on their sympathy. He's saying, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, love, 
affection, sympathy, draw on these. It's, as, it's, it's when we come together like we did last Sunday after the service in that koenya, in that fellowship. We draw from each other. We partner with one another as we walk through this journey. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What is that saying to us? (laughs) It says this. In other words, Paul is saying that Christ comes alongside us when we are suffering, so that when someone else is suffering, we are able to come alongside them because as we journeyed with Christ in our suffering, as Christ journeyed with us in our suffering, so then we can have that koenya and come alongside of someone else who is likewise going through a situation, going through a trial or a hard time. We can come alongside alongside someone who's having hard times, right? Because Christ came alongside us. Remember, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. So as much as we have received, so we would be giving out. So Paul is saying, you know what? It's not all about you. It's not all about you. You're going through this situation, but it's not all about you. That anxiety, that difficulty, that sickness, that trial, that pain, that doubt, that fear, that disappointment, it's not about you. Someone has been there. Someone has journeyed that. Somebody has walked that road. But you know what? They came on the other side. They walked that road and they persevered through it. They went through that valley. They went through that fire, but not for their own merits and not for themselves, but that Christ would be glorified in them. Your, your life is writing a message that others are reading. And the re- what they are reading is, who is the Christ that you believe in? Who is the Christ that you serve? Who is the Christ that is dwelling within you? Who is the Christ that is walking beside you? Paul says, there is joy in service to one another. Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You know what? Friends, as we serve one another, there is joy in that. As we are there for one another, encouraging one another, lifting one another up, saying, hey, you know what? I went through that, and you know what the Lord did for me? As we are sharing with one another, there is joy in that. In the middle of all of our trials, in the middle of all of our tribulation, in the middle of all of our suffering, Paul says, you know what? Let there be unity among you. No matter what you're going through, let there be unity among you. You know what that unity demonstrates? That if you're going through something, there are others around you that are unifying with you and walking with you through that situation. You're not going at it alone. What does this um, look like? Paul breaks it down in four different ways as we're going to look in just a moment. He says, thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, and intent in one purpose. So Paul is now giving them a lofty charge. He's saying to them, you know what, guys? I want you to think the same way, as in you're going to love each other. I I want you to have the same love. I want you to be deeply rooted into each other. Have the same spirit. I want you to be united in spirit. Don't push your way through. But be united. Be intent on one purpose. Put yourself aside and help somebody else along the way. That's one purpose. That's walking out Christ. That is Christ in you. That is being in Christ when you're demonstrating these things. Contrary to what what some people would think, 
projecting unity. Uh, what does the world say? You know, unity is when everybody's uniformed in their idea. Everybody's of the same idea. Everybody is doing it the exact same way. Unity is not flattering. It's not making up your own, uh, uh, putting out your thoughts and your opinions as though it's the only thing and everybody comes into the uniformity of that. No, it's a matter of this. It's everybody coming together in agreement, working towards one cause, working towards one goal, right? And so right now, they, Paul is encouraging them, come together, get the gospel out. As I'm here in prison and I'm having opportunity to speak to the prison guards and, the, and I hear the message that the gospel is still going out there, even while I am here ministering, even while I am here and in chains, the gospel is still going out there. And even though they, some of them, are doing it with the wrong motives, Paul is saying, you know what? Come together in unity. Come together in unity. We must be diligent in our faith walk, uh, faith walk that uh, while we're walking out this unity, um, because sometimes in suffering and, and sometimes in, 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 these, um, in walking out the unity, trials will come and try to divide us. And what I was thinking of in this, why I was um, trying to get this thought out was because I was thinking of during COVID. Everybody had to come together in, in a unified purpose of what it was to look like for churches. Isn't that right? We all had to shut down for a period of time. And then when we were allowed to open up, we had to open up it with social distancing and masking and registration and all that. And all the churches had to fall under this, this scope. And so we had to be unified in, in how we were going to follow out the protocol that was set before us. And though we had to be unified, yet there was still dissension that could creep in. Who would be mad that somebody didn't want to wear a mask? And who would be mad that somebody didn't get vaccinated or somebody did get vaccinated? And who didn't seem to exercise their faith? And, and who, was, who was walking in the wrong direction? And all sorts of ideas came in. Why? Because the, the global pandemic brought in this suffering, and in the midst of this suffering, if you want to say, disunity tried to creep into the very church. Even while the church was trying to navigate through very un unfamiliar days, even though the church was trying to navigate and, and follow whatever protocols, dissension wanted to come in suffering wanted to bring division and so here they are their leader or if you want to say paul uh who who initiated that church through ministering to lydia and, and cornelius and, and now he's there in jail and they're receiving this letter from him Perhaps they could say, yeah, but you know what? He's there and we don't have anybody. And, and he's saying to them, listen, I want you to walk in unity of spirit. I want you to be unified and to be in Christ. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, verse 3, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What did he just say? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. First, he tells us to look at the, the interests of others and regard others as more important. He's telling us to walk in unity. And now he's saying, count others more significant than yourself. Have you ever stopped to figure, to, to ponder what does that mean? Have you ever considered what does it involve in Walking in humility and counting others as more significant than yourselves. It means this. He says, when I help you to excel, here, here it goes like this. When I help you to excel and reach your full potential, I excel because my character grows 
as I grow in Christ, as I grow to be more like Christ. So here's the thing. I'm not putting myself in front of you, but I'm coming alongside of you, and I'm helping you to excel in that area. And as you are excelling in that area, I too am, am growing because Christ is being stretched in me. So it's that, that humility of not saying, wait, excuse me, excuse me, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm the leader this week. Do you remember in school who's the leader? And that person every day at recess and at lunchtime would be the first one to line up at the door and they would lead the class outside or lead the class wherever they were going, right? Each week there would be a different leader or each day. It's not about standing in front saying, excuse me, excuse me, I'm the leader. It's about coming alongside and saying, you know what? I see you're very strong in that area and so you know what here let's let's go you're going to run that area you're going to do that area and as you excel what happens is because I'm coming alongside of you the two of us are excelling together because Christ is growing more and more in me to make me more like him to make you more like him because we are walking together in that unity of spirit the world says, no, I should, I should be the one that gets to go ahead. I, I should be the one that, um, that runs that show because, well, you know, I've got this, I've got that, and we put all the check marks. And so then others don't get to grow in their services. I think of our, our children's ministry, right? It's run on volunteers. Not all those volunteers are teachers, some of them are, are people in the corporate world. Some of them are people in, 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 in whatever other capacity. They could be working in an office. They could be working in, in a department store. They could be uh, grandparents. And what's happening? They're coming together and they have an interest. What's the common interest? The interest is to see those young children hear the word of God and grow in the word of God. Now, what if there was one teacher in the group that says, no, 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 I went to school to be a teacher. I'm qualified to be a teacher. I have my degree in, in, in this whatever diploma and that specialty and blah, blah, blah. And so that individual wants it all to go exactly how they like it. And those other volunteers that are on, on the same platform with them are not able to grow in their giftings, are not able to grow in their abilities, are not able to grow in God stretching them because one person wants to say, no, no, it's it, this way or no way. And God's saying, you know what, let's walk together in, in unity. But true humility says, you know what, I'm going to pass the ball to you. Because I see you have an opportunity for the goal. And when you get this goal, you are going to win it for our team. And you're going to be named the team player. You're going to be named the, the player of the week, the player of the month. Because you brought our team to victory. So I'm going to pass the ball to you. True humility steps aside. Though you might have the gifting, though you might have... The ability, you're stepping aside for somebody else to walk in that ability. So how can I be confident of what Paul is saying? Philippians 2 verse 4, it says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's an... Um, an individual that I know, well, there's a few individuals that I know, they stack up information about you. And when they stack up information about you, it's to come and, and, and bring it the minute you don't do things exactly the way they want it to be. Have you ever had a boss like that or a teacher in school? The minute you didn't, well, you know, last week when you were writing this, when you were doing that assignment, last week when, uh, when we put forth the numbers and we were asking for our staff to, to be in this, and, and they bring out all of your failures, and you begin to shrink, and you begin to shrink, and you begin to shrink. And Paul is saying, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Some will only want to be in that place that is over you, that keeps you suppressed. 
And Paul's saying, no, no, that's not the kingdom of God. That, that I, I'm asking you that if you see somebody else who has those giftings, who has those abilities, let them rise up as well and let them be brought forward. Philippians 1, 27 to 24. Maybe if we read these verses again in, in uh, the message translation, then we can get a full scope of what Paul's saying. He says, meanwhile... Live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear of it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you. And both because of God, there's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him, and suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. Then he says this, if you've gotten anything out of, at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree each, agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That's the, that's the message translation. That just brings it to, to a bare minimum. Paul is saying, this is the, the way that I want to see the church going ahead. Why would we want to live this way, though? Why would we want to, to walk in a way that, you know what, sister, I want to make sure that you're going to go ahead in every area that God has, has fashioned within you. Why would we want to, to uh, even consider that this is the right way that Paul is suggesting to us as a church? Because it goes on to say in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under heaven and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul just called the Philippians to a unity and a humility. And if that's not enough, he says to them, have this mind among yourselves. As in, you know what? While you are all getting your humility and while you are all in your unity, have the mind of Christ. Have the attitude of Christ. Paul is working hard to get these Philippians to believe that they had to have a shared mindset, that they had to live out their faith, that they had to walk out his character, not forgetting to be in like mind with their brother or with their sister. He, he paints for us a picture. Okay, and as he's painting for us a picture, he's wanting them to fully understand, listen, you don't get what this unity looks like and you don't get what this humil humility looks like unless you understand what Jesus did. 
unless you're fully grasping what Jesus did, everything that I'm saying just sounds like words to you. Unless you fully get what Jesus did on the cross, everything is just going to bounce off. It, he writes for us a beautiful poem, verses 5 to 11. What is the name of that poem? The name of that poem is The Emptying and the Exaltation of Jesus. The emptying of Jesus, verses 6 to 8, says this, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So when the, when the scripture says that he was taking on the form, again, it's another Greek word and a very old Greek word, labin. And it doesn't mean that he was taking on the form as in he was putting aside his deity, as in he was less of Christ, as in now he was less of a God, um, less of his attributes, as in no longer omniscient, omnipotent. No, this word taking on the form, this word labin, is in addition to, so in addition to his omniscience, in addition to his omnipotent, in addition to his deity, he took on the form of man. He never became less than God. It's just that humanity was added to him. Does that make any sense to you? Humanity was added to him. So taking on the form, it, the um, New King James says that he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he took on the form of human flesh, but he did not take off the form of his deity. He did not take his identity as the son of God off. He did not become any less God. So when we put all this in perspective, what Paul was actually saying is that Jesus is not just the form of a man, but he was born into the likeness of man which is referencing his outward appearance, the outwardness of who he was. But Jesus reflected who he was truly because he never lost his deity. This deity of Jesus left, caused him to leave his heavenly throne, but he became man in a human form by becoming Humble. What did this humility look like? What did the humility look like? He was born as a child, though, and not just a, not just coming appearing to us as a man. He was born into poverty, even though he was royalty, even though he was a king. He humbly submitted to his earthly parents, even though he had his own heavenly throne. This is the demonstration of the humility that Jesus came in. He, hum, in humility, he learned the trade of being a carpenter, even though he was omniscient and knew all things. He could have said to his father, yeah, well, I already know how to do that. But in humility, he learned. He, in humility, he waited to launch his ministry, even though... He was the one who was the creator of time. He waited for the time in which his father would launch him. In humility, he chose fishermen as his friends. Even though he was royalty. Even though he was a king and of royal blood. In humility, he hungered. And he thirsted, even though he was the living water, that when we would drink from him, we would never thirst again. Even though he was the bread of life, that when we would partake of him, he would sustain us. What does humility look like? What does humility look like? When we picture it in what Christ did, do we get a better perspective? You see, some of us think it's, Hmm. Oh, you know, 
oh, no, it's okay. Don't sing. Don't, don't compliment me. You know, I'm humble. And so, hmm. Right? That's what everybody thinks humility is. Oh, oh, well, you know, hmm. And Jesus painted for us that humility walked in obedience to his father. He walked in obedience to his father, even though he and the father were one. That's humility. Humility that lived out total submission in the midst of being mocked, in the midst of being brutally uh, beaten, in the midst of shame, in the midst of public humiliation. Jesus walked in submission in the midst of death. Even though he was the exalted one, he walked in submission. That is true humility. That is what Paul is calling them to. That is what what we are being encouraged to be called to. While you are walking in unity, remember this humility that I'm calling you to. And this humility is demonstrated through Christ. When he was speaking of, of Jesus making himself a slave because he came as a, as, as a slave. Uh, um, oh, I've, I've lost the, the verse. Um, by taking the form of a servant, it's in reference to the, the type of crucifixion that he had died. Because though in those days on the Roman cross, the, uh, in, in the Roman era, only the slaves would have been crucified on the cross like that. Now, but Jesus took on that type of crucifixion. He took on that type of death experienced that brutal, excruciating uh, pain of the cross because he was taking on the form of a servant. Why? Because during that time of death, he fought what? He fought the principalities of the air. When he went to the cross, he fought the principalities of the air that were fighting over our lives, that want to take control over our lives. He fought over the, the keys of death. When he died that brutal death on the cross, he was fighting over the spirit of death, over the power of death, that now because he went to the cross and because he died on the cross, we no longer, those that, of us that are in Christ, no longer experience death but we experience life eternal why because he went to that cross because he took on that form of a slave the slave in the representation of bearing all of our sin he bore all of our sin he bore everything concerning your life whether it be sin sickness disease he bore it all and when he went to the cross as that slave through that curse of sin he tore down the the uh, the work of the enemy he faced death in its face and death no longer had any power over us therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father why because there's no one else that deserves a crown more than Jesus. Here, Jesus, the Son of God, God stops to exalt him. God stops to put a crown on him. God stops to exalt him above everyone else. Some people want to push themselves forward. And... and uh, God says, no, he is highly exalting his son and bestowing on him a name that is above every other name. There's no other name, there's no other that deserves this crowning moment but the son of God. If you stop for a moment and you just reflect tonight, what position do you see yourself in? 
What position do you see yourself in? Do you see yourself as one that would walk in unity? Do you see yourself that would as one that would walk in humility, in submission? Or do you see yourself as seeking to get ahead? That's the world standard, seeking to get ahead in life. But Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, no, let us walk together in unity. Let us walk together in submission. Let us walk together If we, look to, if we look forward to Friday and we look forward to, to all that Christ has accomplished on the cross, the suffering, the beating, the mocking, the pain, and he said, but for the joy that was set before him, what was that joy? The joy was you and I. The joy was you and I. I, I don't understand how the joy set before him was that for us he would die. I don't understand how he could look at my life and see it that, you know what, I'm willing to die for her. I don't understand how he could look at everything regarding me and say, you know what, I'm willing to suffer the pain. I'm willing to suffer the beating. I'm willing to be spit upon. Because I see that there is a person, I see that there is a woman that she needs to be saved. I see that there is a woman that is going to come to know me. I see that there is a man that he is going to be delivered. But for the joy that was set before him, that joy is you and I. And he was willing to go to the cross. And he was willing to suffer the pain of it. He didn't elevate himself to the throne of majesty. God the Father lifted him up there. God the Father placed him there on the throne. Jesus didn't put himself, Jesus didn't say, but don't you see that I'm the son of God and I'm hanging here on the cross? No, instead he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Instead he hung there, instead he died there. He was given a name above every name and at this name, all encompassing every person, is going to bow. Every person, whether they are believing or whether they are unbelieving, they will bow. Everyone is going to bow. Even the principalities of the air will bow. Even the rulers of the earth will bow. Yes, even Prime Minister Trudeau will bow. He may be a prime minister of the country, but he will bow. Even the pre president Biden of the United States will bow. He may be a president, but at the name of, of Jesus, he will bow. The powers beneath the earth, the powers of death, they will bow. They will no longer have any control. Everyone will bow. Not only is he exalted, but everything living in creation is going to come in total submission to Jesus. They will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Either they're going to be confessing it out of praise or they're going to be confessing it out of despair. Jesus is Lord. But everyone will proclaim the name of Jesus. Everyone will recognize, everything will recognize, even those that are dead will be, uh, that will be raised to the power of Christ will be confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even those that live and operate in wickedness will confess. Why? Because God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So what, did, what do we take away? That Paul wrote to the Philippians. He wanted to make sure that they were equipped and able to endure hardship. He wanted to make sure that they um, would understand that they were going to face hardships just as he faced hardships. They would understand that <clears throat> that, you know, being a Christian is walking in the unity with each other, that they would understand that they would have to even walk in unity during hard times. And that Jesus, at the, at the end of it all, that Jesus is to be glorified, that every knee will bow, 
That's the last hymn that he leaves us with as he progresses on into ne in the next weeks that we'll look at. Being light of the world is that every knee will bow before the name of Jesus Christ. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, what? To the glory of God the Father. Father God, I thank you for tonight, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that uh, for every voided area or vacant area where maybe I didn't explain well, or maybe the message didn't go through well, I pray that, Lord, you would just fill in those areas with your understanding. That, Lord, that as we go home and we reflect on the passage once again, that you would give us the eyes and the ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. Be glorified, God, as now we, we uh, continue on in our time of prayer. And for those that are at home, oh God, as, as they sign off, but they're in their homes, pray. I pray that, Lord, you would be glorified even as we entered into this, this Easter week, Lord, and we remember you dying on the cross. And on Sunday, we celebrate that, Lord, you didn't remain on the cross, nor did you remain in a grave, but, Lord, you rose again, and because you rose again, we have life eternal. We are freed from the keys of death and hell. Jesus, tonight, be with us all. Minister to us as only you can in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, for those of you that joined us online, we thank you for being with us tonight, and we pray that you'll find yourself here in the house of the Lord Friday morning at 10 a.m. as we uh, celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, I did say celebrate because what he did was more than any of us would ever do and could ever do, but celebrate mostly because it was a demonstration of his love towards us. So come. We will be having communion together, and our pastor will be bringing uh, a timely word. We'll see you Friday morning, 10 a.m., and Sunday morning as well at 10 a.m. God bless you and be with you in Jesus' name. Bye for now.